Welcome to another episode of the NPCs Discuss, where we talk about the video game industry, events, history, controversies, and more. On today's episode, let's make this as easy as possible. Nostalgia and retro are everywhere. From the rise of the pop finals covering each category known to entertainment, to t-shirts sporting logos and designs from a bygone era, and even some forms of entertainment from our childhoods being made available for us to relive the days of yore. This happens to include video games, of course, a portable version of Oregon Trail that lets you get dysentery on the go, Atari and Intellivision making new consoles, and Nintendo going against Sega and Sony to deliver a mini version of their hit 90s consoles to your living room. That's a small taste of it, but you get the idea. Our need for retro content has become a pretty sizable part of the video game industry, and of course, there's a lot to dissect about it. So let's hop right in and talk about this week's topic, Retro in the Now-O. My name is Travis Sherman, and of course, as always, I am joined by who I'd probably consider my retro expert, Kyle Inman. Kyle, hello. What's up? Oh, <laughs> oh, what's up? I had oh. to pull it. Sorry. <laughs> Again, like I said, that idea just for the for the the name of the episode just fit really well, so I can't explain it. Sorry. Just just made me think of that uh, that comedian from the eighties. Uh, I can't even think of his name. Uh, but just really raunchy material. But yeah, he was always doing the oh. <laughs> I can't remember his name either, but I have a hunch. I know who you're talking about. Anyway, as we throw away that little bit of nostalgia off to the side, let's actually get into our fun topic here. I suppose, especially with this, because I find it funny talking about retro. Because Kyle, you know, of course, that I went and purchased a little pedometer here i know of course you can see it as we talk through discord and mm-hmm. i know nobody else can see it but uh bandai japan happened to release a little pedometer uh activity tracker doesn't really connect to your phone but it is a digimon branded pedometer and uh if that ain't retro at least in some case i don't know what is but i got a digimon that i wear on my wrist all day now and that itself is pretty cool to think about and you haven't little killed me would have gone nuts uh no I no there's no way to actually kill him. Oh, okay. All that happens is that if you don't exercise enough or like like generate enough steps and and a and a good enough like heart rate for it, it actually will uh de digivolve back into the egg. Oh wow. Okay. And then you have to start over again from where you're at. However, I've done enough walking lately. I still keep on unlocking this uh this Digimon evolution at the champion level that happens to look like a sloth. And I don't get it. Like, it explains exactly why. And it's like, I'm not that lazy, am I? So I guess I I need to go run like a half marathon to get this other one that I really want instead. I don't know. As long as, you know, your your Digimon doesn't get Digi-Diabetes or, you know. (laughs) Well, if it helps that this one's so lazy, it looks like a sloth. It actually throws its poop. Oh. That's its attack. (laughs) And it's like your your original Digimon anime, like, purple digimon poop that oh, it throws awesome as its attack and it's like oh yeah and then when it does its big special attack it's just bigger poop oh so that's that's great anyway i just i figured in the sake of talking about retro stuff digimon is just a fun one anyway to think about because that series is still going on but anyway i digress retro has become a very very big thing and it's it's evolved into something even much larger than I think we anticipated it evolving into. Wouldn't you agree? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I always saw it as kind of a niche thing, but never exploding as much as it has, especially in the, the past, like, I don't know, five to 10 years, especially like it is just boomed. Um, just not even in, in just collectibles, but you know, especially in the gaming area, not, not just in, you know, the, the resurgence of the retro, but games being made like retro games too. So it, it, it's kind of crazy to think about, you know, a game that, that looks like it came from the, you know, eighties or nineties, you know, played on a computer where it's all super pixelated, you know, maybe done in 16 bit, but it's a modern game with 35 hours of gameplay, um, and a full fleshed out story to boot. So it, it shows the evolution of gaming and how, how not just the, uh, graphical aspect and, you know, the, the viscera that we see in certain games, um, it can be enjoyable, but it, as long as it's emulated in, in a, a manner that we can understand and, you know, a, a plot and a good storyline, then, you know, it's managing to be a successful game at that point. Yeah, especially when it comes down to how the retro community has been embraced, that, that, it's not reliant on those who want to collect their games and game consoles that they had when they were younger Mm -hmm. Um, again, but you're talking about how the industry has embraced it by not only filling in those gaps where maybe it is tougher to get hardware, but you're also talking about the, um, and that's even like those third parties, but you're talking more like the actual first party hardware manufacturers. You're talking Nintendo with the NES classic and, and SNES classic. Yeah, you're talking and, and Sony game. with the PlayStation mini and, and Sega games. with theirs. Yeah. And, and, and games, especially. Yeah. And new games. I mean, you look at things like, um, shoot, I've even bought quite a few on my, my steam library looking back, um, just over the, the last year, I want to say, um, there have been a few that were straight up pixel, you know, just pixel art games. But, you know, I, I think that also leads into the resurgence of, or maybe more so into the resurgence of, you know, the, the collection of, of classic games and classic consoles and the need for the original hardware and that, that original, uh, game software, you know, in the cartridge form. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And like you got yourself lucky, especially in the retro market, um, where you ended up with a pretty good cache of Super Nintendo games, mm-hmm. where one ended up only being a um, uh, a repro, uh, but you were able to secure those and their most of their original manuals, though, too, for, you know, a rather decent price, which for some collectors out there is just unheard of. Yeah. You know? a lot of luck but i mean really and truly um if when it comes down to it i mean there there are a lot of people out there that are paying out the wazoo for you know single single copies of games i mean we look at the fiasco we had with heritage auctions just over the last what 10 months and you know wada games and their whole rating system and them feeding off of one another to build this uh 
the this classic game empire selling uh rated classic games for millions of dollars almost you know yeah and that's a very interesting side of the retro industry that we could probably get into here in just a little while it is definitely something to to talk about for sure so we'll hop into that one here in a bit probably the second half but let's talk about where retro kind of began at or at least kind of what can what is considered retro and I want to point you over here to this link that I've got in our show notes, Kyle, mm-hmm. from oldschoolgamermagazine.com. I don't actually know what this was. I just did a simple search there talking about um, what's considered to be retro. And between this and another article, uh, there's talk about retro stuff potentially being somewhere in the range of about 20 to 25 years uh, it, it seems to be almost a mixed bag of when retro actually or, or when something gaming wise becomes retro, but it seems almost like the consensus is probably about between 20 to 25 years, which interestingly enough means that you're talking 20 years. That means that the original Xbox, the PlayStation 2 and the GameCube are considered retro, which in my mind is bizarre. The Dreamcast. It doesn't feel right to say that. The Dreamcast too. Windows software, and not not just any Windows software, CE based software, or you know, uh, uh, CE based OS, I should say. Um, Oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Crazy. Well, yeah, and it's it is, and it's just it's crazy to think about how much things have changed and evolved that. You know, maybe 20, 25 years is right because the technology that was there to make the Xbox, to make the PlayStation 2, the GameCube, the Dreamcast, that has evolved so much more now that we are using things like, you know, like I'm looking here at my Xbox Series X on my um, on my desk and the amount of things it can do, like it would take maybe a whole room of Xboxes somehow networked and clustered together to be able to even get like a fraction of what this is capable of, you know, in regards to the actual compute power and the the quality of games that comes out of it. And so I think, honestly, it's like 20, 25 years probably sounds about right. I mean, would you agree with that idea? Do you think maybe it's farther back, especially like maybe 30 years, given that we are, I think, around the 30th anniversary of the Super Nintendo, if not just a little outside of it? I mean, it, it's hard to say at, at this point, in especially in our lives, maybe we need to readjust our gauge to to think that yeah, potentially, um, those those are retro consoles. There are kids graduating out of high school that have never played an original Xbox or a GameCube. That they they would pine over the idea of even you know having the chance to play one of these uh, first disc based consoles from you know the these. Uh, people that put them out you know going back to like a playstation or a ps2 you know it, like the idea that it isn't fathomable to them because their their first console would have been much higher up than that oh yeah oh yeah and if you get into like a household where say there there was that love of games as a as a kid like you're a parent who played games as a kid but you haven't invested the time into anything new like you know whether it be a gaming pc or having consoles around um you know if you're not one of those parents though 
or if you are one of those parents, then yeah, your kid's first experience with a console is going to be until more of the later generations of things like you're talking about not even the Wii you're talking about Wii U at a minimum you're talking about like the second generation of the Xbox 360 you're talking about uh the PlayStation 3 Slim right I mean you're 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 talking about some of that stuff just as a as an example but for like myself I mean granted I don't have like any like a lot of old consoles or anything in my house I've got an N64 here still mm-hmm. but the amount of stuff I still have in my possession, like a bunch of old game informers and an old electronic gaming monthly that talks about the release of the PlayStation, uh, PlayStation three, the Xbox 360, and what was, what has become the Wii, but was known at the time as the revolution, you know, that talking about those consoles and them having game reviews in that same issue for game boy advance games and Xbox games and PlayStation two games. There, there's you are right it's like yeah it's like we have to really change the dial and think and you and you hit the nail on the head that there are a lot of kids who are not have not been exposed to that that they're more that more of the recent consoles in the last couple of generations is what they've grown up with at least to them so they haven't really been in that area of retro for very long versus us or at least myself with my kids where they've been exposed to really old stuff you know pretty early on right right and you know there I, I i still think there's a lot of households now that you know there there are kids that i grew up with that you know quite a few kids that they didn't play many video games so i don't i don't see them you know potentially being a video game household and you know even progressing on to into college i i didn't see you know people continuing on with video games so i'm it's easy to think that, you know, people that I went to college with, they didn't, they probably didn't buy another system until their kid was five or six years old, which, you know, would have been, you're right, you know, the, the PS3, PS4, you know, and at that point, you know, that those, even those consoles are really old now. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah tell me about i mean that. if, if they got a first generation nuts ps3 um you know that that would have been shoot they would have been like 17 now you know oh yeah that's that's very true and it's man it's terrifying i mean i hate to say i feel old but damn there are days i feel old with some of this stuff don't get me that's wrong crazy to think with, about it's crazy especially with about. the range especially the range of kids with my daughter being as young as she is. I mean, she got to have her very first VR experience today, you know, doing that. And, you know, for her nostalgia wise, the oldest thing that she's played has actually been super Mario world on the super Nintendo classic. Yeah. She finds that stuff goofy, but needless to say, you are right that, that consoles may not have been picked up until, you know, the kids do get a little bit older and they're more exposed to late gen uh, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting, especially, is just how the industry has adapted to providing that experience, though, for retro. And we talked about this a little bit there just not long ago mm-hmm. and how much more accessible things are. Like, I remember, I think the first retro thing I like really saw out there outside of like trying to do emulation on your PC was those old Atari plug-and-play um, mm-hmm. consoles that you could just plug in with RCA cables and you could play Pac-Man, Centipede, Dig Dug, um, uh, Pole Position, 
You know, it was like the, it was all the different like Atari, Namco, Bandai classics that you could just go and play that way without buying like an arcade machine. You know, at that point in time that, right. you, you know, you might find an old arcade cabinet, but that was not something that people ever really considered purchasing for their home. However, that right there was like a $20 purchase at Walmart. You could get it, plug in and like, oh, do you remember? I remember playing Pac-Man as a kid. Let me show you what Pac-Man was was actually like compared to your your dual thumbstick controllers and your Halo and your Grand Theft Autos. and I'm Right. Or or for the kids. Trying that, to act like an old person. You know, did have the, the PS2s and PS3s. You started seeing the games like the Midwar, Midway Arcade Collection or the Namco Arcade Collections that were popping up that... You know, they could they could enjoy a small collection of those games emulated, of course, um, with certainly different aspect ratios than you would have normally played with. But, you know, you, you still get a, a taste of what, you know, they, they would have played like. Exactly. Exactly. Because they they might have been on newer hardware, but it didn't really detract from what that experience was. Granted. Right playing games in those older settings like an actual arcade and on a on an arcade stick that has been beat up and abused by so many people and just hoping that by pushing up on Pac-Man you're actually going to be able to go up instead of like not moving or anything you know right th- there's a bit of a difference when it comes to it but that's obviously understood anyway even so you think about like that being like one of those first like retro things that we saw at least in my mind that came out um after that, though, I mean, the the retro market didn't really expand that much. You know, for there was a period of time where those handheld or those those plug and play games came out and then we had nothing for a while. And it maybe I'm remembering different, Kyle, that there was kind of this lull. But then I remember out of nowhere, we started to see these multi cartridge consoles uh like the what is it the retron i think was one of them early on that you could do like nintendo super nintendo uh genesis uh uh sega saturn you know you could put those games into it and play all of these different games off one machine you know is that about right or was there something different in that time period? um yeah i i think you started seeing some some of the games like that were coming out of like devolver with like hotline miami and enter the gungeons games that were more pixelated uh you know games like minecraft as well that that started uh leading into this idea or back into the idea of of i should say that Good graphics didn't necessarily mean that it was going to be a good game, that it could still have quality with, you know, just whatever graphics they they came up with. And uh, I I think, you know, it it does, you know, have a little bit to do with, you know, art direction and the the way they wanted their creative license to go. But it it did definitely, I, I, I think lead credence in, into the those retro consoles that you you could uh play games on like you would you saw more of the the retrons that were your you know three in ones or your uh hardware emulated consoles that were you could stick a cartridge into or even some of the ones that uh I can't remember the company that came out with them 
uh, but they would have like 20 preloaded games on it, but you could also use cartridges on them. Those ones were like more of software emulation. So the games didn't run necessarily as good, but you still got to experience them, um, mind you, with potentially some lag, especially off the cartridges. Yeah, and that's what I was like really thinking about is that like I know we started to see more software that came out that tried to, you know, software being video games that tried to embrace that classic look while still, you know, being accessible on modern consoles, um, at least at that point in time being modern or modern Mm -hmm. PC hardware. Um, But I was really thinking, though, it's like, what else was there in that lull period besides the, you know, because you went from the plug and play and you went to the the hardware-based stuff. And then that's when we started to see, I feel like, a big push in the emulation front uh, more than anything. And I'm talking about emulation in the sense of, home-based emulation where you yourself are downloading an emulator, downloading the BIOS, downloading the ROMs, and playing those retro games locally. See, and uh, being... I, I, I don't know, maybe being in, in in a little bit of the older generation, like, I feel like that that's existed a lot longer. Uh, and it I, has, I mean, but it just seems like there was a big, like revolution on it though I, where it just I, sort I of like mean. picked up like yeah. especially with like more consoles that like were launching that you could just purchase on amazon that were you know a game boy that acted like a raspberry pi and you could just load it with M- or roms and and go that way you saw a lot more um handheld consoles like the psp uh getting hacked in, just in order to play retro games not even necessarily for the piracy aspect well i mean granted some people were playing quote unquote backups but um right i you know how how do you back up a, an atari game if you don't really have you know a, a couple hundred dollars worth of hardware so right and at least that's at that why... point <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's one of those things. I'm glad you mentioned the PSP because that was one that popped in my head because that was that was the first time I remember at least seeing emulation in action on the go mm-hmm. that you could take out a PlayStation Portable and someone who had hacked it, it's like, well, why are you doing that? It's like, well, check this out. And they boot up Super Mario 64 on it and they boot up uh, Diddy Kong Racing or they go farther back and it's like, here's Super Mario World and Super Mario RPG and Yoshi's Island and Star Fox. It, it's just, it was it was mind-blowing in that concept because it's like, oh, I haven't played these games in years and now here's this capability in my hands of being able to do something like that. And right me being of course the ignorant teenager at that time anyway it was just the you know not understanding any sort of ramifications that came with doing emulation you know the 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 concerns of piracy and such anyway but obviously of course that that's still a problem anyway now and that's still going on and i don't think that's ever going to stop needless to say though you know that definitely ushered in like the next phase of things when it came to it and i think you're right the raspberry pi is a good example of a little board throw an sd card in and boom you've got yourself a possible emulator right there that doesn't take up more space you know as much space as anything else on your entertainment center and you're I mean, off to the races yeah and i i can play 
like nearly every console dating back from the the previous generation all the way to you know the atari or the uh odyssey you know <laughs> exactly oh exactly 100 percent. and that's why it's just so fascinating especially <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know the 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 emulation scene especially um I think you see it a lot more now because you can hop on Amazon and and just type in emulator and basically a thousand Linux based or Raspberry Pi based um, emulating handheld devices pop up and, you know, ranging anywhere from a hundred dollars to, you know, whatever name your price. (laughs) Absolutely. So absolutely. And I got to say, like, I'm glad that walking through our mall now, especially like, and this is where it kind of really hits me harder, though, on the retro part. I know we're going to get in some of the the um, the chaos with stuff, though, but I feel maybe this is a good... Actually, you know what? Do you think we've hit a good point to take a quick break and then maybe we get into some of the chaos with it? Yeah. Let, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll return with the uh, chaos of the uh, console emulation. As well as some of these new future enhancements that have made retro go even crazier. And we're back, folks. Well, you need to put down those retro handhelds. You need to go ahead and power down the Raspberry Pi. It's time to listen back into us, your favorite people, the NPCs. Kyle. So we last left off there at the uh, break, uh, kind of leading into this. And this was one thing that came into my head as you talked about um, those systems that you know it's kind of like the the 40 or 50 games in one and and i could hear it in your voice especially talking about it that it sounded a little frustrating anyway Mm -hmm. and you know we're at that stage now i think of talking about what has happened with retro video games and how these people have capitalized on it especially in by like especially in the fact of like providing inferior hardware or inferior capabilities and i'm talking about these people who sell these things that look like NESs and do it on a cart in a mall. And it's like, they've got it hooked up to a TV and it's like, Oh, here's Contra one, two, three. And it's like, why, what is Contra 56? What is that? Yeah. What does that mean? Does that take place in 56? No, What's it's Mario just Dreams, the same game. It's, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the problem of, of, of retro that I think a lot of people see, especially in the news is, is inferior hardware capitalizing on the nostalgia just to be able to make a quick buck. And, um, the, the, I guess, overbearingness of people to go and purchase retro things at such exorbitant prices that it sends everything else in the retro industry up like thousands upon thousands of percent just to make it unavailable to those of us who actually what we feel like have more of an appreciation of the retro industry or retro as a whole, maybe versus some of these people. And I know I'm, I might be acting a little, I don't know if I want to say elitist on this. That's probably not the right word, but I guess it's more like, you know, I, it's a, it's a subject I care about. I like my retro stuff and I know you do too. Oh yeah. No, I just the other day, aside from digging out my super NES in order to, to play uh, some of these, the the said titles that I had bought, including Zelda, which I just restarted, I I managed to find you know some of my old Game Boys and a bunch of my old Game Boy games. So I I restarted Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced. <laughs> See, and that's what a lot of people are looking for is like, like you have that ability to go and turn that on, but 
not a lot of people have the ability to go and do something like that. So you get these vendors that are selling, hey, I'll sell you a thousand and one game system, and your your eyes lock onto it. it's like, oh, that looks like an NES. That'd be cool to have. And it's and you 50 go start playing bucks. it. And, it's the same yeah. as the mininess, and it's only fifty dollars. What? And then you plug it in, and it's just garbage. And the controls feel like crap. And yeah, it it definitely shows that I mean the 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 Amazon Linux based and Raspberry Pi based consoles are just a small tasting and even I'd say more so a better e- example of it but the 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 whole AliExpress you know uh taking advantage of unlicensed games or or deco- decompiled code that has been recompiled you know by someone else and or reconstructed from the the decompiled code and yeah. you know with slight differences and then paste it onto this you know garbage console that's made of inferior plastic and just doesn't feel good to play anyway so yeah i i, yeah. I have a very large distaste for these things yeah and it's 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 an attempt again to capitalize on it that they're cheaply made in china they're loaded up into a box and they're sent out and you you get one and then you you have buyer's remorse you try to return it a lot of these places don't let you return them and you're left with this junk device you can't really do anything with because you're right someone haphazardly put it together and with the coding part of it itself to make it work they're like eh close enough all good then they move on and that's just the firmware that's put onto everything and it becomes just a money pit you know, not only you throwing money away for something potentially, but these guys are just soaking in all the cash, especially on the holidays. God, especially on the holidays when they put those things out there. Oh yeah, no, I I've played uh, one of the Mario games on. I I don't remember what what the exact uh, model of this knockoff console was, but after the the third level uh, or the the third world, the game just crashed. So the game it goes to show you that. Not all the games are even fully on there. It's just, you know, enough to give you a taste to show you that, you know, oh, it's a classic game console, but is it really? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But I I mean my my hatred for these consoles, it it leads me into something that 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 I guess is kind of on the the good side. There there's companies like Analog that have come out with not not just oh, the yes. handheld versions with the analog pocket, but then they have like the analog retro and yeah, it which you know they're perfect hardware emulation, and you have people that are able to code games for them too, as well as I I think on the analog pocket, if I'm not mistaken, you can hook it up to a synthesizer and use it as a sequencer, which is really cool. Yeah, so let, let, let's let's talk about some of that where we've seen like inferior hardware and and some of the advances from from other companies here. So yeah, Analog Pocket's a good example. And Analog as a company has actually made a bunch of other retro consoles and, and more in the sense that it's not like they're just copying and pasting making something looking like an NES or an SNES, but they they have their own unique look to them, but you know what you're playing on. So like the example you gave, the Analog Pocket, uh, their their description here of it is a multi-video game system portable handheld, a digital audio workstation with a built-in synthesizer and sequencer, a tribute to portable gaming. Out-of-the-box Pocket is compatible with the 2,780-plus Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance game cartridge library. 
Pocket works with cartridge adapters for other handheld systems too, like Game Gear, Neo Geo Pocket Color, Atari Lynx, and more. And the fact that you can buy one of these things for like $250, $300 and get these other adapters, you know, to be able to bake those other cartridges work, you don't really need to do much more. You're in business, like right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that the that's where it kind of gets to the sad point where a lot of the uh the the retro software because of places like uh Wada Games and Heritage Oxen you know they're they're just a contributor granted uh I would say a major contributor but you know they're nonetheless a contributor of you know increasing the price of the these retro games because you know people see that you can sell them for an exorbitant amount of money. And then all of a sudden they think these, these older games that some of them not worth anything are worth tons. And then it makes, you know, yeah, you can, you can buy this, uh, this $200 piece of hardware, but then all of a sudden the, the $10 game you wanted to play was $60 again. Yeah, that's, that's a a very very big thing especially like the fact that you want to play something that is that old and it's like wh- what lengths do you go to you know to be able to secure it for a decent value without i guess effectively like emptying your wallet 100% on the other hand if you if you can find the deals or if you you already you know have the the software on hand this is a great an excellent way to 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 be able to play those games again, you know, and fully emulate it through the hardware, you know, and it it doesn't detract from the experience where, you know, some of those those inferior, you know, third-party just BS consoles would that, you know, just emulate the the a ROM or, you know, emulate recompiled code basically. Yeah, that's that's what gets to me when when you see stuff like this, like the analog pocket. Uh, th- it's such a unique take on something that gives you that same feeling of like what it was to own something like a Game Boy or Game Boy Color, especially because of the shape of it. But you're allowed the ability to play these other games if you can secure them for a decent price. It, it makes me feel like that the retro community gets it and is trying to step up to make sure that they provide that quality experience. Oh, without definitely. cheap hardware. Yeah. So like I'm looking here at like the the pocket for example, you know, mm-hmm. and like some of the things too, like not even the fact that you can just dock it though, but like it actually has support for like what looks to be the original link cable ports like mm-hmm. you'd see on the original Game Boys too. Yeah. So you could trade Pokémon or battle Pokémon or um, if if you had uh, Tetris, you could play versus each other. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, th- let- those are not the greatest examples. Maybe Pokemon probably being one of the best, but there are other games right. that the, the link cables were used for. Right. But I'd like to focus on something else here. You know, as we talk about, like, the positives of 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 what retro gaming is kind of happening here with, especially like in counter to the negative, there is one negative I kind of want to focus on. And I, God, I wish there was a way to fix this, especially as a consumer, but I don't know how. And that is how Nintendo, it really is more Nintendo than anything, 
how they prey on their consumers with that nostalgia and that retro feeling like by paywalling some of these games mm-hmm. or by releasing a set that has a couple of these games in it for your standard price, like your standard game price. And I know that's weird to say, especially because the standard game price is starting to evolve with newer consoles. Like $70 is starting to become the new normal. But what it comes down to is that if I want to buy like the, if it was still available, the Super Mario 3D uh, All-Stars collection, which is Super Mario 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy, that's going to cost a full 60 bucks. I mean, that right there feels like the the first party is just is really like trying to squeeze every single dollar out of a player because of that nostalgia feeling, especially again, the paywall with Nintendo switch online to access Nintendo, super Nintendo, and even the expansion pack with, uh, N64 and Genesis. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, but I, I feel like part of that is Nintendo being Nintendo. I mean, at its core, originally they, they were a trading card company and you know, that, I, I think they still, um, deep in their core, would like to be able to generate a little bit of FOMO for some of their games, um, and you know potentially the long term collectability, especially now that they they see it coming to kind of a head with everything, um, other things pushing, uh, you know, different factors pushing classic and retro games to be more expensive or more collectible uh certain titles being limited um especially like you said with the uh Mario um 3D collection being only out for a single year of all things um and you know whatever copies are left in store is what's that you know that that's that that they're not doing anymore at, at least as of we know yet so yeah that's really just what <laughs> But you can't. I know it's Nintendo either. So yeah, and I know that's Nintendo being Nintendo, but that just hurts to say, especially in the grand scheme of retro. Because what I want to use this as is the segue to is is talking about what you were getting into, like with heritage auctions. Mm-hmm. That by Nintendo doing what they've been doing and not even releasing everything, um, it's like okay, well, what's my next avenue? Okay, well, maybe I'll try to secure a physical copy of the original game and figure out how to get an original console. Okay, that's a good way to start. Heritage Auctions, for a lot of people who may not know, is a um, auction company who will... It's not even just games that they do. Uh, they've got trading cards, comics. They've got uh, sports memorabilia. They've got movie and TV show memorabilia. Uh, they've got artwork. They've got all these different things that they auction. But in the news in the last couple of years has been video games. I mean, it was only just what? I don't even think it was earlier this year. I think it was like either mid last year or late last year when we had that one uh copy of oh my god wasn't it a mario game well it started i think with the zelda Sonic? game and then zelda that was it that was the that one. was the first one and then the uh one that blew it up after zelda was mario that and it was no mario 64 could... that's yeah, it and then it was mario 64 and no one could believe that wow you know this this copy of Mario that you know sold for 1.3 million dollars you know it, it 
is that a thing? A sealed copy is worth that much now? That's exactly what bothers me is that uh is that you have all of these different things going out there for auction, like you know, sealed copies of that. And I get like sealed copies, especially like, you know, fresh sealed, not or, or fresh sealed in the sense like at the factory sealed and still left in that same packaging. Mm-hmm. But the prices that some of these things go for then lead the rest of the market to start evaluating what they have in their possession. Like what could that copy of GoldenEye 64 on my shelf go for that I could easily make a quick buck on? No problem. Go get it appraised, go get it put away in a case. Okay. Now I've got, I've got someone offering me 20 grand for this game, you know, just, just by some crazy chance. It, forces people to go and overbuy out of the market just to make a quick buck. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help when there is a lack of this stuff available to people who can't find it any other way and just want to experience it. They don't care about making money. They just want to experience the game again, like they did when they were kids or, or, you know, share that experience with, with other people in their lives or, or even the video game preservation side of the retro environment where they're trying to collect these things to make sure that this history is maintained. I just find it so frustrating. Yeah, and, you know, I working in a place that I, I still sell video games a little bit, it, having a copy come out of the original Mario the same week that... Um, the the whole the whole thing happened with that that copy being raided and sold of of you know Ness Mario. Um, people looked at me like I was insane when I had it marked at like nine dollars. But really and truly, prior to that, that's what the cartridge was worth was about nine dollars on average. That's what they sold for. And the only thing that made even a naked cartridge jump up that high was the fact that everyone thought they could make a quick buck on it. And it stayed that way for two weeks, and then all of a sudden, guess what? It was back down to $9. See, and that's just what... Oh, man, that's just what kicks me, you know, like no other. Like, right now, here, here's what I did. Okay, Kyle? I, I'm on eBay right now, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at a copy of Super Mario World, one of my favorite games as a kid, okay? Super Mario World, and it comes with the manual, comes with the game, even has the in, like, it, it's got the case as well, too, including the uh, internal cardboard sleeve and the little plastic sleeve that goes underneath the Super Nintendo cartridge at mm-hmm. the bottom of it. Uh, it's got the little player's guide advertisement, too. And they say it's complete in box, fully tested everything, even though it's definitely been out of the box. Box is beat up a little bit. I would like you, Kyle, to guess right now how much that game is going for on eBay in this state. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not in its original cellophane either because obviously it's out of here. It's got some other type of like plastic case around it, but the game has been out. The game has been used. The game has been tested, determined to work. And it's like, if you don't care about the box, which I know some people do, and hey, that's that, you could buy yourself a first run copy of super mario world for the super nintendo like there's a bid on it right here seven dollars and fifty cents no box it's definitely been loved because like you know you can see the state of the cartridge here in this picture but seven dollars and fifty cents you know 
sure you don't get the book sure you don't get the box but i mean at the end of it that's still not a bad deal though yeah i mean that still i mean the 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 gap for that is insane because i i have two copies of super mario world and one manual for it and i would have never thought that they'd be worth you know anything close to that i think i paid maybe $15 for one of the copies. I I don't remember what I paid for the other one. I cuz I bought them at different times and honestly forgot that I had had the one. Yeah, like I I just keep looking through this stuff and I got to say I just keep on getting more and more frustrated when I'm looking at this stuff. Yeah, it, I, I don't know why. But that that's stopped. also one of those games, you know, I've I I any Nintendo console that it's out on, I pretty much purchase it cuz it it's a classic. And you know, if if I happen to have my Super NES out at the time and I stumble across a copy and I don't have a copy that I know about, well, that that's when you, I accidentally buy two. <laughs> <laughs> and that right there is the Kyle that we all know and love, folks. So, Kyle, I, I mean, we've voiced our frustrations here about it. We've talked about where things were in the retro industry and, and some of the efforts that we've seen from... from third parties to make things you know i i also made mention of course though it's a it's a frustration especially in my mind you know we talk about like the capitalizing on on uh people's nostalgia especially for old games and playing those we talked about the people who sell like you know the cheap super or the cheap nes lookalike in the mall um but i want to ask you this one as the owner of one of these things mm-hmm Intellivision and Atari are actually putting out new consoles already as we speak. One of them, Atari, has already done it, and you own it. That's the VCS. And we've also got Intellivision coming out with the, uh, what is it, the Amico? Yeah, yeah. So um, talk to us and- about your experience with the VCS. Hmm. Because that's exactly what it is. It looks exactly like a VCS did back in the 80s. But it does. it's not a VCS. It is a it is a Ubuntu ryzen machine basically that's running linux and is is uh, it's a pc disguised as a console right uh, yeah and honestly um i've downloaded a couple games on it and i purchased like two ten dollar games they're okay um the total game library that's available is so minimal it it doesn't even make sense like it, it's almost like they want you to try and pirate games to put on it but not only that, the the support for being able to um, access the PC side successfully and make it run successfully is so minimal um, that you have to turn to uh, poor, poorly de- described and shown YouTube videos on on how to um, actually get Linux or uh, an op- any operating system really up and running on, on the thing other than the uh, the current uh, operating system that, that just allows you to play games and surf the web. But And, and honestly, the uh, classic games that have been remade, uh, like Centipede uh, Recharged, I think is what it's called, and yeah, there's a few others, they, they all got released on Epic Game Store for free, so I've played Go them and figure. they run better on my, on, on my computer. So your idea, though, at least of picking up this VCS, like what was your overall intention of picking it up anyway? And where do you feel that 
I guess, whoever it is that made this, whether it was actually Atari or somebody else using the Atari name, like, where do you think they did things right? Where do you think they did things wrong? Uh, it, it is Atari based and it, it's released directly from Atari. Um, but I think the big mistake that they made is they didn't have enough licensing going into it to release, um, more of their older titles and release them at a, at a price that that's reasonable. Um, now I have seen some of them more reasonably priced. Like I think adventure is actually 99 cents, which seems about right for adventure because you can beat it in like 23 minutes or something like that. But there's also no instruction to the game. So if you don't know what you're doing, you you're probably not going to get very far anyway. Um, fair. Uh, other than that, I I mean, the, the the few titles that have been released on it do not operate as well on the system as they could because I think the limitations of the uh, operating system that Atari uses for the game side of the console, um, and yeah, just lack of support. Other than that, I mean, it would be really cool. I'm probably gonna end up turning it into a retro machine just as a almost like Raspberry Pi or uh, something like that, but basically run it off of Linux to run old old games. See, and that's about what I expected to happen anyway. Uh, but the one elusive one, though, at least, is the other one I mentioned, was the Intellivision Amico. And that has been in such, like, limbo like even since it was announced, I mean, it feels like it's like this is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like VCS was not even necessarily successful, but at least it gave the idea about trying to capitalize. And sure enough, they got rid of their CEO because he was too he was too vocal when it came to like his opinions and ideas on things, and he was pretty disparaging and stuff. And then it turns out that they don't even have enough money to make the thing that they're still continuing to solicit money to be able to make the thing and actually get it pushed out to the people who have since like pre-ordered it. Yeah. And I, I honestly think because of the, uh, the lack of preparation and you know, how, how the console launch has gone, I, I don't see the console being successful in the long run. Of course, that's kind of what happened with the Atari. They talked about it a lot. They put out the Kickstarter, and then it took forever for people to get them. And now we we have almost no support for the console other than, you know, what you provide yourself. Yeah, and, I mean, at least be grateful that the VCS is is effectively just a, a, a PC anyway that you can do what you want to with it. I mean, you know, that take that at least as kind of a bonus. Yeah, and the Amico, we really don't know what it's going to be. I mean, it looks like... <laughs> We're never going to know. Yeah, it looks like something that, that that's a controller out of a, a VTech kids game, you know, for, for six-year-olds uh, that you would hook to a TV or something. Um, but, I mean, kind of continuing on the, uh, the retro s- uh, software and hardware, there is one, though, that, that's kind of been a dark horse uh, coming out of nowhere. And that that's the play date. And they which is such they an have interesting their, idea. Yeah, I mean it, it doesn't have a backlit screen. It it looks kinda like a short, fat squat Game Boy with with a wind knob that, that actually isn't used to power it. Um, even though that a lot of people still think that it is used to power it, it's not. It's actually a control knob. 
uh, for some of the games that are specifically written for the console in this retro style in black and white. Yeah, that, that's by far what's interesting to me. And I, I'm telling you, it's like, you know, that's funny to say is that that's what I thought it was, is that the actual uh, knob on the side was actually to charge it up, that that was the whole point behind it. So that's funny to hear, especially, but um, I mean, in the grand scheme of what this is trying to fulfill is that it's not necessarily a retro console in the sense of playing like these classic games that we, uh, um, you know, that we knew about from our days of yore. It's all like, fan creations i mean you got things here called executive golf dx hypermeteor pick pack pup saturday edition uh boogie loops you know it's it's just to help at least kind of like bridge that gap by letting developers kind of make their own things without relying on already existing properties right and i i mean the the whole idea of you know it it, it really leans into the idea that retro as a format is coming back not just in the hardware but in in the software aspect i mean i talked earlier about you know games like enter the gungeon or minecraft where it it has a very retro appeal to it because of the 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 way the graphics look but i mean this this is a a full lean into that aspect you know with with developers you know, actually getting the power to to do something fully creative with not just something that that's new as, as kind of something old, but something that's different as something that's old. You know. Oh yeah, and I think that's what kind of helps it is that it's it doesn't do that, but it's trying to you know it doesn't take these old properties like you're not going to play Mega Man or Super Mario or even Tetris on this, but you are at least going to have a unique experience that you can take with you and. It's kind of a neat thing to have to kind of like show off a little bit too. Right. So let's wrap this up here, Kyle, with a thought on retro where it sits now and what you would like to see kind of going forward. Given I look to you as my retro expert because Mm -hmm. of the amount of time you've invested into the retro market anyway. And I know you're not one to resell anything like that either, you know, unless it's just you're basically just trying to make your money back. You're not usually like scalping and making triple or quadruple, whatever it was, but with what you've invested in and what you've seen in how retro has evolved to the point now where we've got hardware manufacturers making these mini consoles, we've got third party hardware manufacturers making these things to let us play classic games and we've even still got all of the capitalizing and and kind of uh, predatory practices of people that are making things that look too good to be true, and they end up being that case. They're too good to they're they're it was too good to be true. It ended up being just garbage. Like, what's your take on where we're like where we're going with things? Are we going to end up having something better? Are we going to maybe be worse? What what's your what's your take on where we're going? Um, I I I think we're we're working into a place where we're going to see a lot more um retro looking games come into the market and be more mainstream. I mean, I I I think about like the the new flashback announce, announcement and it's still going to look like original flashback. So but it's going to have a full fleshed out story. I I mean, we're we're going to see more and more of this. Um 
As far as hardware, I I see um, in the retro side of things, uh, potentially a crash coming. Maybe not a crash, but um, definitely a wane in 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 the popularity as um, people are able to get more of the modern consoles and we see some of the support with like games like Sonic Origins come out. I mean, we're seeing more and more of the the classic games be released again and more readily available and more readily available on even some of the newer consoles. Um so I I I see some of the retro stuff that that is going up in price, maybe not necessarily holding its value. Um well, I shouldn't say holding its value, but Holding at that high price, um, it'll always wax and wane, but um, eventually here soon, it is going to drop back down. People that want to play those original copies of stuff may have a better chance at it, but I think we're also going to see a lot more uh, innovative stuff like the Playdate come out and more innovative games that are very story-rich and uh, less reliant on graphics. Uh, come about uh, down the pipeline that that have that retro feel and and lead credence back to that that retro aspect and and maybe I I don't know create more reverence for for the format. Hmm. Very interesting take on it. Very interesting take. I don't really have an opinion to give when it comes to the retro stuff, but I, I like what you were going with. So. I guess here's to hoping that, you know, we don't get a predatory like Xbox mini or, you know, or a, uh, uh, you know. Give me my Dreamcast uh, mini. <laughs> you're going to get a Dreamcast mini, but you're going to open it up. And, and I don't someone's care gonna if have it's taken $250. Like a, give me a Dreamcast mini. <laughs> you're going to open up that Dreamcast mini, you know, to go look at it and stuff. And it's going to turn out that it's just someone from Sega just took a dump in it. You know, it's like, ha, so got upset. it. I'll be yeah, so upset. I have two Dreamcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I love my Dreamcast. Oh, fair enough. So, any other thoughts to leave off on before we close out uh, this week's episode? Um, I don't think so. I I, I think the uh, future is bright for retro, and um, some of some of the unavailable things like the Playdate and the Analog Pocket. If you're not able to get your hands on them, I I, I see them becoming more readily available in the future with. Uh, newer generation, newer generation consoles becoming more available, but um, at the same time, I I'm also glad to see people enjoying what I enjoyed during my childhood all over again. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, at least in some cases, and that's why I'm grateful to be able to to have a couple things to at least educate my kids on some of that stuff. I wasn't crazy. All those games were good. <laughs> <laughs> that's your retire potentially it could be your retirement fund or we're just going to make you a casket out of all of those games and, yep, and consoles i'm going to be buried with them, them. <laughs> what we don't tell them folks is we're going to melt them all down to make us casket anyway <laughs> needless to say that is it for this week's npcs discuss retro in the now oh still like that title of course with that being it, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into this week's episode. Don't forget to check us out on your favorite podcast platform of choice. If you're listening to us on one of those, that includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Tune in, iHeartRadio, God, wherever we're, we're there. But if you're not sure of where exactly to listen to us to get the best experience possible, go check us out on our homepage, anchor.fm slash the-npcs-podcast, and go find a platform there to subscribe to or listen on anchor.fm. That is your choice. Of course, be sure to follow us on social media and, of course, over on YouTube as well, too. With that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. We will catch you all in the next one. Laters. <laughs>